0: Hey everyone, Lena here in Chicago. I'm pretty pumped to be with you this morning. Uh, It's morning when I'm recording this podcast. It's gorgeous. We're in the fall, but these days have been just stunningly gorgeous. And for long, I'm going to be whining about the cold, but for now, I'm enjoying the sunshine. I am really excited about this series. I've called it the One Thing Series. I like uh, to, what I'm, what I'm really, what my goal is to spend one idea each week that we focus in on. And so, remember, we've talked about purpose and contentment. Well, today, the idea that I'm going to explore has to do with identity. Who am I? Or who do you believe you are? And, and <clears throat> I'm going to give you some thoughts from God's Word in a moment. But just to remind you, <clears throat> the podcast is just my opportunity every week to get into God's Word with you and, and just kind of get our get our uh, tongues wet, get our feet wet, I think that's the expression, sorry about that. Sometimes the uh, Arabic uh, messes up my idioms in English, so I I do apologize for that. I'm Lebanese by birth, but I've been living here for 30 years, so you would think that I'd know by now how to um, use the correct English expressions, but regardless, we're going to get our feet wet, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, I want to talk about identity, and here's the big idea for today. Uh, your vertical identity will always drive your horizontal impact. Your vertical identity is the driver for your horizontal impact and relationships. There's a lot of different ways uh, to say this. Here's another way to say it. Only a vertical identity will free you from the need for horizontal approval. Okay, that's the other side of it. But And, and only a vertical focus will free you from the pressure of horizontal action. See, a lot of us get this backwards in our life. We look at people, the people in our lives, and we let them dictate who we are and what we do and where we go and how our days take shape. And while I love people, I think that we have it backwards. I'm going to show you from God's word really how we have it backwards. And I'm going to be reading a couple of passages of scripture for you in a moment. But I love this concept about identity. If you know who you are, then people will no longer be driving you. Uh, you'll love them, you'll be able to, we're going to get into that in a minute, uh, how it changes the way that you view them. But your vertical identity, when you know who you are in Christ, that always is the driver for your impact horizontally and how you relate with other people. So so if you're like today, if you're listening to the, to the podcast and you're like, man, my relationships are a mess right now, I urge you to consider that perhaps the problem for you is that your vertical relationship needs work. Maybe you have things backward. You're thinking, if I fix my horizontal relationships, that'll take care of my relationship with God. You're wrong. And, and let me read you. Uh, in fact, I'm in a small group. Uh, we call the D group. D is for discipleship. I don't know if you're familiar with this Bible study, but it is based out of Texas, and uh, I, I've loved it. I'm in my second round doing D group. It's a home group Bible study. If you're interested in a in a, in a small group in your town and you don't know you know where to go, Google it, uh, mydgroup.org. And um, you might find a group near you. But basically, uh, Jen Wilkin is the teacher in that D group, and she's made this point in the lesson this week that has really taken a hold of my heart. And I, I think it's just really reminded me of this truth that I, I get backwards sometimes. So let me read you some verses that you know well from Matthew 22, verse uh, 37. And it, the setup is that the Pharisees are asking Jesus. Uh, a question, and one of them is a lawyer, and you can you can always beware when a lawyer asks a question. I mean, there's a trick there somewhere, and so the, the lawyer asks, "Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law?" And uh, they're setting it up. You know, they want to kind of uh, there, there's a trick there somewhere, but but Jesus is undeterred. He's never falls. Uh, to their tricks, and, and he says to them this, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment, and he goes on to say this, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, um, these two commandments <clears throat> depend all the law and the prophets, and um and, and it 's interesting because because if you go back all the way to Exodus chapter twenty and this study that i 'm doing with my d group is based out of Exodus, which is kind of what prompted this this train of thought that coincides with what I had in mind to do on the podcast today I, I love it don 't you love it when God just coincides everything you 're reading everything you 're hearing at church you know you the podcast you 're listening to there 's usually a theme going on in your life and, and so I happen to be. Uh, studying this in small group and then I knew I was going to be teaching on identity and it just fits so perfectly so in Exodus 20 of course are the Ten Commandments where Moses goes up on the mountain and the people are waiting and then he comes down and and God speaks to all uh, speaks to the people and he says this I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and God starts by reminding the people who he is I am the Lord your God and what he has done he has brought us out of the land of of Egypt out out of the land of our slavery And, and maybe today you're listening and you just need to be reminded of that that, you, that, that God is God. It's so basically, he starts to say, I am the Lord your God. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're listening, frame your life according to who God is. See, we want God to frame his agenda to who I am. And we forget that it's the other way around. And he reminds us why? Why does he have a say in our life? Uh, apart from the fact that He's the God of the universe who's created everything we see. I mean, apart from that. Well, because He saved us. He got us out of the land of our slavery. So for us, symbolically, Egypt is, is, is our, the place where we were dead. We were slaves to sin and we were, we were on our way to nowhere. And, and, and God sent His Son Jesus and in His death we're saved. You know, when we accept Jesus on the cross and the price He paid for our sins, we're saved out of that place of slavery and we're put in the kingdom of His light and we're given new life. And so we no longer have to be in Egypt. We leave Egypt and we're headed to the promised land. There's so much symbolism in the Old Testament, as you know. But, but in this Exodus 20 passage, he's actually speaking literally to them. He's like, look, I got you out of Egypt. And, and, and they don't even appreciate it, by the way. They're so focused on, you know, the people of Israel spend their whole life kind of focused on what they didn't have. But, but this is early on, right after they leave Egypt. And he starts by giving them the first command. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Then he goes on, verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall Mm -hmm. not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And he goes on and talks about the Sabbath. Now we're we're from verse 1 to verse 8. I mean All of these verses are really about what? They're about God. They're about a vertical relationship. They're about what Jesus said. The first commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That is the greatest commandment. So he spends the first eight verses here, nine verses of of Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments, talking about vertical relationship. Then he moves in verse 12 to the horizontal relationships, which is, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his car or his vacations or his clothes or his hairdo or his muscles or you, on and on. You know what I mean. This is crazy stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is so real. I mean, the 10 commandments back, you know, thousands of years ago, but they apply to us so much today because we fall in the same trap of, of, of wanting what is not ours. But anyway, uh, the point I'm making in reading you the Ten Commandments is to show you how the first five commandments have to do with God. They're all about vertical relationship and you don't even get to the horizontal relationship till after that. And, and Jen writes this question in her application that I love. She says, when we run into relationship, tro- relationship trouble, which relationship do we typically try to fix first? Our relationship with God or our relationship with the person we're having trouble with? How might we change our approach to dealing with difficult relationships with others having read Exodus 20 and reviewed Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Well, I gotta tell you the truth. Jen is onto something and, 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 and she speaks truth, and the reason we know it is because that's a, that is God's word, and it's so clear that if you can just understand who you are in Christ and what He says about you, and if you can understand the importance of your vertical relationship, Man, everything else will fall into place. The vertical identity is what drives your horizontal relationships and impact and, 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 and all of that. And, and don't get this mixed up, okay? So if you're stuck in a, in a relational mess today, I'm telling you, you start by reconsidering, are you giving God your all? Is He first in your life? Are you worshiping Him and no other? And if you're in that place, if you're worshiping God and understand that everything He's given you comes from the hand of a good God, man, listen... You know who you are in Christ. You have been saved from slavery. A God who gets you out of Egypt and gets you out of the place of doom and puts you in the land of freedom, that God wants what's good for you. And so you no longer need to covet your neighbor's stuff because you understand that a good God who has a plan for your life is the one who who has you where you are for a reason. And so you see how that changes everything. You no longer want to be angry at your neighbor because, because you're free to love them now. And so I just want to give you a couple of thoughts about who we are in Christ. I want to start by, by by just give you some examples of some false identities that we carry. And there may be tons of them. You can make your own list. Uh, I just want to share with you a few that came to my mind. Some of us, we understand, okay, okay, I'm saved. I, I'm a child of God. I'm beloved by God. You probably have even a bookmark in your Bible that tells you who you are in Christ. And and it's like background noise to you anymore. You don't even think of it. And and, 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 and we need to re kind of calibrate our ears to hear who we are in Christ. And instead of, I'll get to who we are in Christ in a minute, but let me remind you of some false identities that many of us carry. Here's one, a shame identity. Are you carrying a shame identity today? And that identity is the one that says, I'm ashamed of of my past. I'm ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of what I'm doing right now. And so the truth, or or, I'm sorry, the lie uh, that we believe in this shame identity is that if they, if the people in my life really knew me, they won't love me anymore. So you kind of show up to places with a facade and you go to a small group and you tell them only what they want to hear. I mean, you confess sin because, of course, you don't want them to think that you don't think you have sin. So you're like, yeah, I've struggled with anger this week. I struggled with gossip. So you make up some sins because you want them to think that you're spiritual. But you never really get to the heart of the stuff that's really hurting you. Instead of admitting, like, I feel ashamed, that I'm struggling with with my past, you know, on and on. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you know, maybe you have a lust problem and you're too ashamed to admit it. Maybe you keep falling in the same pattern of sin and you're too ashamed to admit it. And in your heart, you believe the lie that if people knew the real you, they wouldn't love you anymore. Here's, Here's the counterpart to that. If you're carrying a shame identity, let me tell you who you are in Christ. Christ knows who you are. He knows every secret in your heart. He knows everything that's ever happened to you. He knows every doubt you've had in your brain and your heart, and he still loves you. That kind of love is unbelievable to me. Do you see how when you see yourself as who God sees you, he doesn't look at you and sees a broken person. If you're broken, but you've come to Christ as salvation, he now sees the blood of Jesus and his righteousness on you. That is a freeing thought. And so if you're carrying a shame identity, you need to remind yourself, not if they know me, they won't love me, but Jesus does know me, and he still loves me. There's nothing I can do and say that will ever stop his will from me. Now, he wants to change me. He doesn't want to keep me in a state of defeat, but, but that is because he loves me. And there's a completely different driver to that. Here's another false identity that we tend to carry. It's the failure identity. Okay? You might have tried to do something and failed. Maybe it's a, a battle with sin, and, and you keep failing in the exact same way. Or maybe it's even like a, a, a thing, like at work or at school or, or, you know, something that maybe in 10 years won't even be that important, but right now you can't get past it. Maybe you took on a responsibility, and it blew up in your face, and everybody's like, man, he's such a big loser, and, and people want to drive you by, by accusing you. And so you might think, I'll never amount to much. Because I failed, I'll never amount to much. And, and, and that's it. I have no more future. It's all downhill from here. I'm such a loser. I'm such a failure. That is a failure identity. And Satan takes great joy in letting us... Be in a place where we believe these lies. These are lies about us. Do you see that that, 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 is, that is condemnation that Satan puts on us? And, and Romans tells us that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, the failure identity is driven by what I can't do, whereas a victorious, true identity in Christ recognizes the failure. It may be because I did things wrongly. It may be because mm-hmm. I didn't surround myself with a God. I mean, maybe things on my end that I could have changed to not fail. But be that as it may, I have failed. I've been there. Or I've done some things or not done some things. I've ended up feeling like a failure. But you see, a Christ-centered identity says God can overcome even my failure. A Christ-centered identity looks at God's Word and says there's not a man or woman in Scripture who didn't amount to God and do great things for God that didn't look like a failure at some point in their life. You ever thought about that? Think about the men and women Scripture. They looked like they were failing. They were doomed. Peter, man, he, was, he had given up on his dream to be a preacher of the gospel. He went fishing. He went back to his day job. And what happened? Jesus found him there. Because a the Christ-centered identity doesn't rest on our failure, but rests on the grace of God, who's able to use even our failure for our good and God's glory, and so are you carrying a shame identity, are you carrying a failure identity, how about this, are you carrying a self-sufficient identity, we are in the United States in particular, and the Western world in general carry this kind of self-sufficient identity, it's like this, pull myself by the bootstrap, I can do this, I have to work really hard, or it's never going to happen, it won't happen correctly if I don't do it, and And that is a, that is a identity that is destroying us. And so, and and so instead of understanding the interdependent Identity that Christ wants us to have with the members of the body. Christ describes the church as, as, you know, being members of one body. And he says, can the arm survive alone? No. I mean, I'm a doctor. I can tell you, if you chop off your arm, it's not gonna, you know, you're gonna have some trouble. If you, if you lose a finger, I mean, you might be able to function without a finger, maybe without the appendix, but short of that, you're gonna really run into some pretty significant problems. And, 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 and I know some of you feel like the appendix or the, or a finger in the kingdom of God. And you're like, a, you know, I, 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 I'm fine. Come me off I'll, I'll I'll do it on my own and 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 you're hurting, and, and you, you don't trust people anymore. And, and by the way, Christ didn't really trust people, so it's okay not to trust people. A, a vertical identity understands that people are to be loved, and that our trust ought to be in the Lord, and because Christ loved us, and because we're... Uh, let me read you what Paul says about this, actually. Well, I'm on this in Second Corinthians chapter 3. I love... The Apostle Paul was like one of the most able people in the world. He was smart, he was well-connected, he was charismatic, he was a great writer... Filled with the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ, toward our God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And Paul and is it, it like, man, I can't do this on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. I need his sufficiency. And he saw himself as a person who was, his identity was rooted in the fact that nothing he did would last outside of the Spirit of God. And shouldn't we learn from the Apostle Paul? And so this whole self-sufficient identity that I have to work really hard or it won't happen is, is very me-centered, self-centered. And now God does want us to work hard. And he says in Ecclesiastes, whatever you do, do it with all your might. But but um, I think we've got to develop a dependence on the Lord that is rooted in the fact that we are hopeless without him. And I'm telling you, we can do nothing without him, at least nothing that matters, nothing that lasts. And, and then I, I wrote down a... Um, a perfectionist identity, if I don't do it just right, it's not going to be well done. And I think so many of us, women in particular, are, have this perfectionist identity where... Um, you know, people may be coming to help us. You know, we're again, the driving one thing idea is that your vertical identity will always drive your horizontal impact. And it, it, those of us who are perfectionists by nature, I am that way. I'm telling you, I think we, we struggle in that God has put people around us that could help us, but we refuse to help because we think that if I don't do this just right, it's not going to happen. And kind of along the lines of self sufficiency, um, we need to learn that, 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 that people are there, um, to help us and God has put them in our lives and it's okay to accept help sometimes and it might be humbling, but, but, but but in Christ, um, we can be humble and we can receive help because we understand that our worth is not in the things that we do, but in who we are in Christ. Do you understand the difference? This is huge. And, and I, again, I don't know about you, but I tend to be that type of person that is self-sufficient and wanting to do things just right. And, and, um, and there's a point where that's going to fail you and you're going to feel like you're a harried mess. And, and, and then there's a sinner identity. And, and so many of us who have come to Christ and have given Him, our, confessed our sin and, and have really had a salvation experience and the old is past, all has become new. Somehow we can get caught up in this, I'm a sinner identity, like this broken identity. And yes, we're all broken, uh, but, but there's a feeling right now where I hear people acting like, well, I can't help who I am. So they continue in patterns of sin because I just can't help who I am. That's just the way I'm wired. Um, that is a lie from the pit of hell. We are transformed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. God, in, in the New Testament, we're told to be perfect even as He is perfect. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Peter tells us that. Peter of all people tells us that. So listen, you can, you might not be able to help who you are, but Christ in you can help who you are and has a plan to take you from your broken self and Get you in a place where you are completely Christ-like, where people who run into you go, man, I don't know who this person is because they are brand new. And if you're not living in that transformed place, then... Listen to me. You need the word of God in your life. And you need to go back to the place. You, you need to go back to the cross and sit at the foot of the cross and stare at the face of Jesus on that cross. This, the blood dripping from his hands and his feet and the sacrifice that he made for you. And understand that a Christ who died for you is the same Christ who's changing you. And so maybe we need to get a place of yieldedness. We do not have a sinner's identity. We are slaves. In Romans five, 6, it says that we are slaves to righteousness. We are. Re- we must reckon ourselves to be... Dead to sin and alive to righteousness. And so uh, we no longer have to walk like sinners. We are victorious in Christ. You can have victory over that temptation. And when you're in that place now where you understand your vertical identity, we've covered a lot of ground today. And we're all, well, I'm coming to, the, and we're ending now. But remember, the main theme today: your vertical identity will always drive your horizontal impact. If you're trying to make an impact on the people of your in your life, if you want to love them the way that Christ loved them, if you want to apply what Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, you will constantly face misery and failure in that if you don't approach it the way that Christ wants you to approach it, which is first vertical, second horizontal. And uh, and when you do get yourself in a place where you understand who you are in Christ you are no longer in Egypt you're headed to the promised land you're loved you're a child of the king you're a slave to righteousness you are forgiven you are shame free you are strong in Christ you are victorious already when you're in that place where you believe these things and understand them now you're free to love others with openness to treat them with forgiveness to give them grace over and over and over again to yield your rights to God and then therefore to others sometimes even when you don't think you deserve to do that because Christ knows and Christ sees and Christ has a purpose and he splits you exactly where you are for a reason man that is some awesome stuff I mean I'm preaching to myself today and uh, listen if you want to find out more about this ministry go to livingwithpower.org if you want to email me Lena lina at livingwithpower.org um, I think that's all I got today I'll see you next week I'd love to hear from you take care bye